Um, welcome to the first of our podcasts, which have been videoed. Actually, fun fact for the podcast trivia. He originally videoed the first one we did with Gabriel. Yeah. And um, So maybe it's a welcome back. But we never put it up. Um, it's actually on our uploads, but it's not been released. Um, <laughs> so we probably should put that up, actually. Yeah. At some point. Is it up there, yeah? It's on our... It's just unpublished. Uh, I don't know why we never uploaded it, but, um, you know, the universe has been funny ways, you know, and everything at the right time, you know? Everything happens for a reason, Fitz. Do I sound all right to you? <laughs> yeah, you sound great. Sound kind of muffled in my head. But, so, we're just going to do a little trial run of the podcast, and we're going to do some Q&A. So, we have some five questions here. Some so, questions. It's a broad spectrum of questions. Uh, the first question is weightlifting-centric. Yeah. And it's, do you think Lasha will reach that 500 kilo total? Um, I think he is capable of reaching the 500 kilo yeah. total. But I do not think he's going to do it in competition because it's just too much. I don't think he's going to do it in training either. Yeah, I think he can do it. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to. No, I don't think so. Like, we asked Gabriel about this before and he's just one example. And uh, I know Miso kind of feels the same. Is... So when we're non-competitive weightlifters, numbers is all that matters. So for everyone watching, numbers is what's the big thing for you because you don't have a hope in hell of winning an Olympic gold. Yeah. But for elite weightlifters, full-time professional weightlifters, all they care about is winning. So winning is all that matters. Um, making a little bit of money. So breaking world record by one kilo is the same amount of money as breaking world record by 10 kilos or five kilos. So yeah. that's like we saw Lou Zhaojun... You know, he took like one kilo off the world record, um, very small amounts, because for them, it makes sense to do more. So rather than doing one big world record where you break it by like five kilos and you can never break it again, you do a little bit every time. And often what happens is weightlifting is just so fucking hard. You never yeah. get the chance to do it again. So I don't think yeah. he's, it would just be an astronomical performance. Yeah. I think what you're seeing is like, so undoubtedly, like historically great snatch and historically great clean and jerk but I don't think like if you look at where he is now and obviously there's that thing of like being motivated by by medals and by world records um, it's completely different to somebody having this abstract goal of a 100 kilo snatch you know like it, it's not the same thing they're not that's not what a laudable goal a what? a very laudable goal very laudable yeah but it's like that's not what motivates any of the high-level weightlifters we've ever met. Oh, like we asked, I remember asking that Gabriel that very specific question. Would you rather have bigger numbers or medals? And he said medals, 100%. There was no and question. And was the same. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It, medals are all the matter for your country, for you, for your financial, everything. Numbers yeah. are, if the numbers were 50 kilos lower, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah. It makes no difference. I think like an easy way of maybe getting an idea for that would be asking a soccer player would you love to score five goals in a match or would you love to win the Champions League or the World Cup? Like, you know, like winning is what matters in competition, yep. not the metric by which you won. Like very often we see weightlifters not even like so that they've won by a huge margin and they just don't even take a third attempt sometimes, yeah. which they could go for a world record because it, it's just, there's just so many reasons not to do it, you yeah. know. Obviously, world record weights are incredibly injury risk. Um, there's also a little one. An incredible risk. Very risk. <laughs> but so we also have like, you know, 
if you're stepping out of line by too much, you might be shot down. You know, that is uh, yeah. that is a genuine concern in weightlifting, which and, is... And sorry. Yeah. The last thing on this point is that yeah. you're talking about snatching 235 kilos, which he doesn't appear to be close to now, yeah. and clean and jerking 265 kilos. Well, it, it would probably be 225 and 275, or whatever. Okay. Or whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. variation. Like... It's not. It's not like we're watching the World Championships next, or sorry, the Olympics next year, mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, it could happen now." I don't think it will. I don't think his jerk is not up to scratch for a two hundred seventy-five kilo jerk, and there's you know there's multiple reasons why we could go into that. I think um, first of all, his arms are just very fucking long. Yeah. Also, I suppose he's the weight is incredibly heavy. It's That's massively heavy. Crazy weight. He does. He seems to do a lot of push press, and when your arms are very long. The last thing you want to be doing is engaging your arms more. <laughs> he also has, you know, there's an issue with super heavyweights is that they're incredibly fat and they have to move their own body weight yeah. in conjunction with moving a massively heavy bar. Like yeah. they, those weights are just heavy as fuck. So him trying to overcome the kind of inertia of changing that direction yeah, of that yeah. dip. It's um, going from 265, which he ha- he's done 264, I think, in competition. And the jerk is slow. Yeah. And it's very weird to see a jerk that slow at 264. And actually, in a recent interview on Tarokadi's channel, he mentioned, or his coach was like, we're working on the jerk, you know? Yeah. Like to go to 275. Yeah. Even to go to 270. Like he looks... Having done a 230 snatch beforehand. Absolutely. You know, like... Yeah. He could definitely do the 225 snatch. I feel like that's well within his... Although, again, you know, it might be that they're incredibly hard for him. You know, they I'd, say, m- I'd say they are incredibly. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's all relative to you at the same yeah, time, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. they might not feel like massively heavy weights, but like, he's 221, I think, is the most he's done in competition. Yeah. Like, that might be the absolute limit. And half a kilo more, as we know, a weight of things very strange that, like, he might never get that. Like, you know? Interesting note about a 275 jerk. What? Who who do you think has done a 275 jerk from Rack and broken his shoulder? Oh, it was like, a, or Clockoff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, apparently. In his book, Clockoff said, uh, before but one of the injuries Wasn't it behind the neck or something wasn't it? I I don't know if it was behind it No I think it might have been just from blocks He said he attempted four times in a day or something Wasn't that because he had no coach at the time? Yeah And no. there was very no. much anger Yeah 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 Now I have anger I will be good But like yeah he, he broke his shoulder doing it Um, Which is fucking mental Imagine what the gear they were on at that also, time Also Klockov probably has a bigger strict press than uh most supers do then yeah the vast majority of supers you know when they go like there's a reason like all those training camps are in the mountains in the middle of nowhere yeah, like, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, god bless him yeah 275 god bless save us but he made it then in the end didn't he yeah. he was like recovering or something and he said he hurt his shoulder yeah Um. He pre- that's also like Joe a self-written autobiography we don't we don't really know but yeah we don't know what happened yeah I love to think that that did happen like um, I, I could believe that. I mean, he's jerk. He's incredibly good. To be yeah. fair, like we've seen him do at least two fifty from rack when he wasn't competitive at some of yeah. his like power weekend or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm almost certain it was behind the neck or something. A- anyway, that, yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> like we have seen Misha Kiklaev jerk two seventy. You know that seminar in Glasgow, that famous that video on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fucking millions of views. Um, he looked like he could have done two eighty. To be honest with that. Yeah, but. I don't know, was Lasha 275 clean I think and we jerk? we need to move on to the next question. Um, it's an interesting topic, though. Obviously, Very interesting. I'd be happy with a 225 snatch. That would be so cool. Five reds. I'd be happy with Four that reds. myself. Um, <laughs> the clean and jerk. 270 would still be crazy. Yeah. Uh, there was rumours Stefan Bota, before we move on, 
he cleaned jerk 270 in training or he wanted to but uh, Abhijay wouldn't let him fuck so it'll tell you what he was capable of next question yep how can I jump higher so the first thing people always seem to forget when they're on about jumping higher is are you doing jump training right now so are you doing some kind of plyometric or jump specific training because if you look at any of those studies and there's loads of studies on jumping and all of them will compare like jumping versus no jumping with box squats and guess yeah. who got better at jumping <laughs> the jumping so skills yeah. if you want to get better at a skill in any athletic endeavor you need to practice that said skill yeah. now obviously um doing other skills makes you better at some skills like there's carryover and there's a reason you do strength training all that but before we move on you get to the next part of this you need to make sure you're doing enough make sure you're doing any kind of jumping first of all the right kind of jumping yeah um what would you say is next uh what i'd say next is you need to start looking at prioritizing like the training of muscle fibers like exactly so there's no point in you doing a lash of jump training and plyometrics and like stretch shortening cycle system stuff and then going and running your 5Ks and stuff. Like, or when you see field athletes all the time will do like, oh, I'm going to do my sprint training now and then at the end of the session they do six 400 meters. You're like, do you have any fucking idea what you're doing? Yeah. Like, and it's not their fault. Most of the time it's a coach or whatever. But uh, if you're trying to get fast then you prioritize fast movement. If you're trying to jump high, you prioritize jumping high. And that will mean that kind of long, steady state stuff, or definitely the kind of work capacity stuff in the middle, that stuff just has to go away for a while. Um, and then my, my second point, and that would be jump high. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking to jump high and you're doing like, you're using box jumps to train that, which isn't the ideal thing to do, but it's a good thing that a lot of people will do in the gym, then you need to jump high. You don't need to jump onto a high box. Yeah. So what we see all the time and like weightlifters are, weightlifters are a catalyst for this bad habit, but wait, it's not a bad habit for weightlifters. So they, what yeah. I'm talking about is a box being super high, like up to chin or nose level, and they're jumping onto it and they're landing in a really, really deep squat. Mm-hmm. That's great for weightlifters because it's generating a huge amount of force and then getting into a really, really deep squat position which is what the pull will be most of the time uh whereas for athletes or for people who want to jump high you need to focus on moving your center of mass higher so even if it's like the bottom two steps of your stairs you should be landing just a tiny bend in your knee on the balls of your feet like landing in a a position like the power position at the top of your clean pull or snatch pull uh like just barely dipped uh, and then you increase the height of that and you jump higher not just jumping onto a higher box for in terms of like frequency and volume jumping lower volume is um usually much much better for yeah. jumping um so that's from like i did see a study recently actually was that they compared lower volume like with high velocity training whatever and lower volume training is better yeah. it makes sense because you you want to use speed as your uh indicator of performance yeah. as soon as your speed drops uh you can just do this like internally i feel slow so i'm just going to stop yeah like that's a perfect way you don't need to buy um what's it called the velocity meters the what's the accelerometer accelerometer like you don't need you don't need to get something like that you can just literally go the f- second set of jumps feels slower than the first yeah. set of jumps so stop so keep your jumping volume very low much lower than you think you need to be and then just have the frequency maybe 
twice a week potentially three times a week but I would say start with twice a week yeah I, I think twice is plenty for yeah. most people and then I suppose the final question is kind of it usually goes in with this is like what about squatting like and squatting's effect on jumping and squatting will have an effect on jumping yeah. I don't think it matters the depth so people wonder you know squats parallel or high bar squats all the way down I really don't think the it has that much amount of no. like there's not that much of a difference between a, a box squat to a full squat on jumping specifically what, yeah what I would say on that issue on the depth of the squat is mm-hmm. uh, so if I'm so you see this with athletes a lot where they'll just do like a quarter squat or what people would call a quarter squat and they might do it to a box that's they're basically limiting the amount of squats they're doing because they're not doing the real deep squats and they're allowing themselves to get bullshit strong in that range of motion mm-hmm. and that's so much more important than anything else yeah so if I've like if I've a 200 kilo squat and girth is a 200 kilo squat it doesn't matter for jumping specific it doesn't matter if mine is just above parallel and girth's is a full range of motion squat or that's what all the research and kind of all of our experience um would kind of back up as well is that you just need to be strong yep. in your range of motion having the full range of motion is great and in terms of injury recovery and most of the time people want to jump high they're jumping higher for sports or doing something like that and having that range of motion is great in terms of kind of bulletproofing yourself uh but for jump performance it doesn't have to be a deep squat and so finally the last one is um realistically you don't need to be doing weighted jumps uh, in fact it's probably counter <laughs> it's probably counterproductive so there's the hypothesis in sports science is a dynamic power output hypothesis or whatever that the your body weight is the most um is the best weight to use to produce the most power and it's been backed up an awful lot so unweighted jumps uh don't do weighted squat jumps uh, they're useful for weightlifters but basically for nobody else yeah don't do whole kettlebells don't put on a weighted vest and do slam on that four inch box no. you know um so no weighted jumps no if like i would actually recommend the opposite yeah but it's just incredibly hard to facilitate yeah. like if you could have a facilitator uh that was speeding up the speed at which you jumped that would be good because we're now bringing in that thing of of learning to jump faster and learning to jump higher uh so if we had some sort of a jimmy rigged system where there is pulleys and stuff yeah there is pulleys you can get and you'll see athletes and they'll wear a harness around their hips yeah and they'll have like a bungee cord clipped on that's what's happening there you're training muscle fibers to contract faster um and obviously like more neural sequencing but yeah never ever wait to jump so i would not recommend we gotta move on Jeez, we're behind already sorry for anyone listening to this in the podcast but we're fitting this for youtube and there's an issue with those sony cameras that they have a 30 30 minute limit and we've just been too fuck arsey around to figure out 15 minutes 15 and a half we got this is a good one right what is it best thing to sip and snack on during workouts um i'm a little fatty like so (laughs) i like chocolate or um any kind of like gummies you're such a fatty no shame you're the of anyone i've ever trained with you're the worst but you're looking at my quad veins now as well, like so at the same time. Uh, you know, who's diabetes? Yeah. <laughs> what I would say Oh that's oh sorry, just to say that's not the most I don't think that's the best one to sip or snack on, by the way. That's what I do. <laughs> that is just what I like. Yeah. Um look different sessions require different things. Yeah. But I'm going to make and there's 
there's things that affect this, right? If you're like a young athlete developing and it's hard to get food in and stuff, then you by all means have some intra-workout carbs, like have mm-hmm. some sort of like really easily digestible carbohydrates during training. Or if you're somebody who's really trying to add mass, have some like orange juice or something during training, right? Yep. That would be my go-to, would be like Salty one of those, juice. yeah, like one of those monster hydros uh, or like orange juice with some salts in it. All these things are great to like give you back electrolytes, but more importantly, to be bringing up your carbohydrate level for the day. Uh, in terms of like nutrient timing, the biggest thing by far for me here is that you these things can be very, very inhibitory to us performing well when we're training. Uh, so you'd see people drinking like shakes, uh, or it used to be a lot more of a thing, like maybe yeah. seven or eight years ago, people slamming shakes when they're training. And it like, that's just fucking terrible unless you're bodybuilding or something and then even when you're bodybuilding that level of abdominal discomfort yeah. just is not good no uh i would say yeah having something with some sort of electrolytes in it is good for training especially if you're doing longer sessions and more more importantly higher amounts of sets per exercise so if you're in a a peaking phase not a peaking phase if you're in like a realization phase and you've gone from doing high volume training, not really specific, to now doing loads and loads of sets of snatches and clean and jerks. Like if you're doing six or eight sets of snatch doubles and you're sitting down and resting in between, having some electrolytes or something that you can take on board will be good. Uh, if you're a little fatty like Gurf, I'll leave you take this on. I, I don't. So I feel like most people probably aren't training long enough. So yeah. unless you're someone like, Tomo Lordina and you're doing the Romanian fucking system of training and you're yeah. training for four hours a total a day so like last night I trained for I was in the gym for three hours but I rested maybe 10 minutes between each exercise yeah. but um, I did a lot of work last night so you can kind of justify it then I think but most people should be sessions that are probably lasting an hour and a half and if I was training full time I would probably only do I would do two yeah. hour and a half sessions like after that then you need to be and I don't do that every session as well like you know so that you can't do that every single day and so probably up to an hour and a half if you've eaten any kind of glucose during that day then you're totally fine basically for that workout I would imagine but then if you're getting beyond that then maybe you need you could look at adding something uh obviously it goes without saying just drinking water is is totally fine and just auto-regulate if you're a loser if you're a fucking nerd <laughs> uh auto-regulating water as well as the yeah. drink when you're thirsty like so there is like recommendations for amount of water I don't think is um I don't think no it, like once your piss isn't fucking really yellow and like have if a bad smell off it like if it's not petrol like you're probably okay like so sip water as needed drink when you're thirsty is probably the best recommendation there um but i don't think there's a make or break kind of scenario for like oh if you drink this you'll yeah what's well, like your performance but the one area i like some sort of like yeah sugar in between is going from snatches and clean and jerks to squats that's exactly when i had my yeah doctor. and i like you're the same but like i'd usually rest for like 15 or 20 minutes and just like get fully back if it's been a hard session then take on something like that as you're kind of resting and then go again yep uh what's your personal favorite i like gummies i know you do chocolate is good as well. little fatty i like dark chocolate as well all right i think we need to move on again uh right so really like so to sum that up it probably doesn't matter unless you're training for like fucking the Olympics or something. Like, yeah. And that's not a flippant kind of disregard for what you're doing. Like it's not something, it's just extra stress. You know, and I talked about this one in my training vlogs, having crutches during training. Like, yeah. You don't want to get into the mindset where you're like, geez, I don't have my fucking 
test those. Those. my wrist straps. My, my glucose max 6004X. Uh, my ele- test booster. Electrolyte solution, you know, that teenation cell and all that shit, you know. Or what they used to. They used yeah. to be big fellas for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, it's just, it may most likely will be a crutch. It's probably not going to be a huge performance booster. And it's just going to be another issue with training if you don't have it. And like, it just you want to eliminate these things. You want to make training and, super efficient. And most of the time you see people drinking things. They're drinking Monster or they're yeah. drinking some sort of pre-workout. Yeah. Like, you're talking about 45 minutes realistically before caffeine has any reasonable effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, you're too late yeah. unless you're fucking really going to hit it hard for your finisher at the end of the session. Uh, you probably shouldn't be drinking. Like, I always drink Monster in training, but yeah. that's just laziness. Yeah. Um, the next question then is, what do you think about squatting four to five times a week to regain strength? And this is from a rugby player. So... I don't think that's a good idea, first of all, obviously. Yeah. If you have done the Road to Anywhere squat program, it is two days a week. And you, often we say, do as we say, not as we preach, but I can back this up with, um, I squat, I back squat twice a week. So I front squat twice a week as well, but front squats barely count for weightlifting <laughs> in terms of like the absolute weights aren't, are much below what, what I could handle yeah. in terms of like fatigue, you know. So two back squats a week for me and for basically anyone we've ever coached, it works fantastic. Yeah. So you can squat every day or four to five times a week, but you're most likely just going to over fatigue yourself and then not make any progress or get injured or ultimately limit your squat gains. Yeah. And I think so what people have here is they've been like, oh, I assume this is the situation where they've been away from the gym because the gyms have been closed. They're now coming back into the gym and they want to get strong as fast as possible because the season is starting probably in September, October. The thing is, like, and it's the kind of John Bros mentality of squat every day or whatever it is, where they're like, oh, if you were stuck on a desert island and you had to get a big squat as fast as possible, then you're obviously going to squat every day. Not necessarily. Like, there's so yeah. many other really valuable things you could be doing with your time that don't involve squatting every day. Uh, that will still make you much, much better. Yep. Definitely. So, and just a little plug here as we can. Seek a strength, Road to Anywhere squat program. It's on seekstrength.com two times a week. The average has to be like 30 kilos um, for the first run. And then there will be a maintenance program included with your downloads. So you get 16 meets of squat program. It's 30 euro. You're getting an average of like a euro per kilo on your squat. And I, I would happily pay a euro Jesus, per kilo. Jesus, I'd pay a euro per kilo every day of the week. Some people have gotten 45 kilos. Yeah. Um, and they're not even, like, a lot of those big gains weren't noob gains. No. Like these people are squatting the 150s, 60s, 70s, you know, yeah. stuff like where they're, they're not tiny gains. Like, so. No. It is truly a great program. And if you think you're going to work hard by squatting every day, you're, yeah. you don't work harder. You just rob work from other days and spread it out over all of the days. Uh, last question then. Yep. Jesus, we're already out of, nearly out of time. Yeah, uh, what's that? My phone died, so we've oh like my God. four minutes left. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is it possible to fully develop posterior chain without deadlifts? Do you want me to take this first? I feel like you have an answer. Deadlifts are good for posterior chain, right? But when people talk about development of posterior chain... There's different development, there's different things happen developmentally from deadlifts that happen from just doing reverse hypers or just doing hamstring curls or just doing uh, prone back extensions. So the great, the key to the deadlift is huge neural loading 
bilaterally. So you're driving with both legs using the entirety of your spine. You're forcing as many of those neural signals down your central nervous system into your peripheral nervous system as possible for a second or two. And that kind of neural loading is very, very, very important if you're somebody who wants to sprint fast, jump high, hit people hard, be able to get hit hard and not explode, uh, be able to lift big weights. So neurally, the deadlift is extremely fatiguing. Thus, it's extremely valuable for training that kind of that rate sequencing of like muscle fiber activation. If you're somebody who wants to have a good looking arse yeah. and well-developed hamstrings, mm -hmm. you probably never have to go near a deadlift. Yeah. In the same way, if you're somebody who wants to have yacked quads, you don't need to ever squat. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're able to achieve all these things with different movements. It doesn't even have to be a compound movement. Like obviously compound movements are valuable in, in a huge other range, but like, developing musculature is very different from developing strength and it's very different from developing like coordination and rate firing of, of muscle fibers i think that sums that up pretty well i think we have to cut it there anyway thanks for watching I hope and you, listening yeah i hope you enjoyed the um the visual podcast uh, for our youtubers and hopefully the audio is better than most of our youtubes yep thanks guys thanks <laughs>